we start our uh, sermon today, I'm going to start it with a question. Um, and the question is coming from both a non-Christian friend of mine that I had coffee with this week. And the, the same question comes from a very strong Christian uh, friend of mine, very committed Christian friend of mine this week. They asked the same question. No, it was not in the same meeting. But it was interesting to me that both a non-Christian friend and a Christian friend would have basically the same question uh, regarding Christmas. And the question is this, if God came into this world, why isn't it more obvious? That's Christmas, right? God came into this world. And if you're thinking and you're listening to that question, if indeed that is true, if Christmas is true that God came into this world, why the... Is it not more obvious? Let me read our passage today. It's recorded in the book of Luke, first chapter, verses 39 through 56. And you'll recognize it's a very famous Christmas carol, perhaps the most Christmas carol. It's Mary's song, Mary's Magnificat. And it goes like this. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. And then Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. If God came into this world, why is it not more obvious? 1,600 years ago, St. Augustine wrote quite poetically that Jesus was created by the mother whom he created. He was carried by the hands that he formed. He cried in the manger in wordless infancy. He, the word without whom all human experience is mute. And C.S. Lewis, famous Christian writer referring to the, the, uh, the Christmas season of, of God becoming man, refers to this as the, the grand miracle. It's the grand miracle. The God who created the very person who would deliver the Son of God. It's a miracle. Uh, I want to start us here by looking at this song of Mary. And I want to just I, I ask another simple question. Um, who would start writing a book with a genealogy? 
Luke doesn't do this in his gospel, but if you're reading through the New Testament, the very first book of the Bible, Matthew does that. He starts the very first part of the New Testament with a genealogy of Jesus. And as I've been reflecting on the Christmas story this season, I find it um, not only astonishing that he starts with Jesus' family tree, but what's really interesting about the genealogy is the names of all the women. The names of all the women in the genealogy. The ancient Near East genealogies that were typically written would not include women in the genealogies. It wouldn't be there, typically. But if you look in the book of Matthew, um, and again, what makes it even more interesting is that there aren't the names that people would have expected, like the revered matriarchs of the faith, right? There wouldn't, you wouldn't see Sarah or Rebecca listed in the genealogy. Who would you see in the genealogy? It's quite curious who ends up being in the genealogy. It's Tamar. Tamar. And by the way, each of these names are hyperlinks. Go and click on any of them, and you might be surprised that that Jesus, the Son of God, would come from such a heritage. Uh, Tamar is listed there. Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba is listed there. And then there's Mary, uh, the fifth woman that's listed here in the genealogy. Now, Protestants typically, uh, you know, start getting a little nervous when we start talking about Mary. You know, like, let's not pray to Mary. Let's not um, think too much about Mary. And then, of course, our Catholic friends um, at times may uh, go too far by wanting to venerate or even pray to, to, to Mary. But what I believe all Christians share in common is quite strange. God chose to come into this world through a woman. God chose to come into this world through a woman. Uh, Protestants uh, don't mention Mary that much. The Gospels of John and Mark uh, don't really even mention uh, Mary a whole lot. But, but Luke really gives a, a good full story of Mary. A Washington Post article I read this week called Mary's Magnificat in the Bible is revolutionary. Some evangelicals try to silence her. It's a great article. Um, and the article's um, quoting Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's writing from a German prison during Christmas time. Here we are sitting here in a nice warm room at Christmas time, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer's in prison writing these words. The Song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn, he writes. It is most passionate, wildest, most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary. This is the passionate Mary. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, even playful tones of our carols. It is instead a hard, inexorable song about collapsing thrones and humbled lords of this world. Do we think of Mary as passionate and a revolutionary? Did you think of Mary prior to rereading this this morning? Mary is the only follower of Jesus who's both present at the manger and the cross. Mary's going to show us here in this song what real faith look like and it looks like. And the very first thing is that real faith is courageous. It's courageous. Uh, can, can you imagine, can you even begin to think in that space of what Mary would have been thinking? What she would have been going through and the courage that she had, and perhaps you and I have often wondered this very same question. God, if you're 
in this world, and if you came into this world, why isn't it more obvious? Why is my life so difficult? You came to to give peace. Um, Yet, her most famous words are not even in the song. They appear earlier in Luke chapter 1. Go back and read it. But her most famous words uh, happen right after the angel says, Don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will bear a son and call his name Jesus. And after she heard the angel say that, she said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She follows. She follows the story. She follows God exactly where God's going to allow it to go. And that's courage. That's what true faith looks like. It looks like in your own story, when it doesn't add up, when you and I both have tried to intellectualize the whole thing, and it just doesn't make sense why or how God is going to do what he's promising to do. And that is be faithful to you and be faithful to his promise. It's courageous. In fact, it's the most courageous thing you can ever do. Surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. Let Christ be king in your life. It's a tremendous amount of courage. It's not flexing your muscles or your intellectual prowess or your pedigree or your and my this and that. Courage. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as the Lord has said according to his word. Let it be, let it be, let it be. Some of you are thinking of the Beatles song right now. Um, I'm not going to sing it, but you're thinking of it right now. Let it be, let it be, let it be. The words of the great Beatles song, Paul McCartney said it well. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she's standing right in front of me speaking words of wisdom. Let it be, let it be, let it be. Some people have written about this uh, Paul McCartney, a lyric, and have said, oh my goodness, he's, he's quoting exactly Luke chapter 1. Um, Paul McCartney, in a conversation with James Corden, was asked that very question, were you indeed quoting Luke chapter 1? And he, um, Paul McCartney mentions that he, he had a dream of his mother. His mother had died, and it had been about 10 years, and his mother came to him in, in a dream and assured him, it will all be okay. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Uh, further in the interview there with James Corden, um, Paul McCartney went on to say, however, I let my fans interpret it in the way that they choose. <laughs> um, courage of Mary's faith is exemplary, though. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That being a Christian, that's the most courageous thing that you could actually even do is surrender. To God's plans, exactly what Mary is doing here. Real faith, and the second thing here is that real faith is personal. Yes, it gets personal. The context of Mary's song. Did you notice the context of the song? Jesus isn't even born yet. She's singing before Jesus is born. Jesus is born, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 2. And most churches today, that's kind of the text that's being read, read is Luke chapter 2. I wanted us to look at Luke chapter 1, though, that Mary's bursting out into song because it's personal. She's worshiping the Lord before she sees the answered prayer. That's courageous. 
listening uh, to the listen to the difference of two types of attitudes. One says, "I will worship God if God is faithful to me. I will worship God if and when God answers this prayer, if it's on time." You know. The other attitude from the heart says, "Because God is great, and because God will be faithful, I will worship God now as I wait." for his promises to unfold in a way that perhaps I don't even understand. That's what Mary does as she starts singing. Interesting uh, characteristic of Mary's song is there's no less than 12 Old Testament references in this song. She's steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures inform her and you and me of who this God is. And how beautiful it was and is that Jesus fulfilled all of that. Luke presents Mary as a woman totally immersed in these sacred scriptures. And it's personal because we see it here. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. She doesn't say my mouth. My soul. The deepest part of my identity. Look, you, you may know me as this. You may know that my hobby is that. You may know that I came from here. But my soul magnifies the Lord. The word magnify, we all know that it means to make larger. You, you use a magnifying glass to blow something up to see it larger. And this is exactly what Mary is doing. Her soul is, in a sense, making Christ large and big. That's what we desire to do at the Table Church San Francisco, to make Christ, he is already large, but we desire to see that magnified in our lives. Notice too, the song of Mary is not, my soul magnifies the Lord and I need to earn some moral credits. George Lakoff writing Moral Politics, How Liberals and Conservatives Think says, Christianity works by a moral accounting system. Immoral deeds are debits. Moral deeds are credits. If you have a big enough positive balance of moral credit when you die, you go to heaven. If you have a negative balance, you go to hell. These general notions are shared by most forms of Christianity. I disagree. You're looking to me, Pastor, please tell me we disagree with that. Um, he's, he's writing this and of course, obviously what we're trying to do here as we look at Mary, Mary is not believing that. Uh, Mary's uh, faith is one of courage, but it's also personal. And Mary would have known the, the, the Zephaniah text that our worship leader read for us as we all got invited into worship together this morning. Mary would have known what Zephaniah the prophet said in chapter, our, our chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's Christmas. That's the gospel. Not, I need to go earn more moral credit points. And I hope it all sort of shakes out in the end. Christmas means you look at the babe in the manger and you contemplate and you reflect nothing less than God becoming human on behalf of me and for the sins of the world. Nothing less than that. Not only is her faith personal, but it, it actually goes public. 
right? It's one thing for us to say, well, you know, my faith is private. Our faith goes public. Listen to what Mary praises God for. And I mean, basically, if you haven't gotten this array, this is a protest song. This, this is a cry against injustice, this song. If you read it further, he has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This is quite a song in San Francisco, might we say. Martin Luther, writing during the Protestant Reformation, commenting on Mary's song, says, Mary dares to make all strong feeble, all the wise foolish, all the famous fearful, God alone, the possessor of all strength, wisdom, and glory. Faith is personal. And when we think about the polarizing debates of our day, Jesus, um, the good news is Jesus isn't coming into our world to take sides. Jesus is coming into our world to take over. He's coming and came into our world to be Lord and King. Jesus is not Republican. He's not Democrat. He's other. He's God. His values turn upside down the values of the world. Jesus says, you are blessed if you know that you are poor in spirit. He doesn't say middle class in spirit. He says if you're poor in spirit, if you're humble, if you know that you need this savior of the world that Mary's singing about. Mary shows us that faith is courageous, it's personal, it's public, but the mother of Jesus shows us one more that might be something that doesn't necessarily jump right off the page. The fourth one is the real faith comes to the lowly, the lowly. Why is a story filled with like normal people? You and I are normal. Why is the, 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 the story filled with manure on the floor where the Son of God is being born and being born into a, a, a feeding trough? Why are there shepherds, unknown shepherds, keeping watch over their flock by night? It's because the Christian life is one of humility. The Christian life is one of humility. J.C. Ryle, uh, writing in the 1800s, an Anglican bishop, says a person has as much Christianity as they have humility. A person has as much Christianity as they have humility. Verse 48 in the song, he has looked on the humble estate, Mary says. Basically, that word means the lowliness. The lowliness. God, you've chosen me? That, that your grace would come to, to me? Do, do, you know, do you know me? You sure? That you want to love me like that? Uh, she was poor. She was a nobody from Nowheresville. A little town. It wasn't her pedigree. Um, it's a protest song against injustice and arrogance that comes from the bottom of, of society and cries out that justice is coming. Justice is coming. And the way that Luke tells the story of Mary highlights uh, something else that's just beautiful to me, that every other character in Jesus' birth is introduced by his or her pedigree, 
or lineage. Again, go back and look at, look at some of the genealogies there, and, and you'll notice that. For example, Zechariah and Elizabeth are in, the, are in the line of Aaron. Joseph is in the line of David. Simeon, Anna are exemplary figures of piety. Luke gives the credentials to all these characters, but when it comes to Mary, these credentials aren't there. Why is that? An essential part of faith is that it comes to the lowly comes to the ones that know that they need him. This is amazing that she's this 13 or 14 year old girl. She's, her, her family of origin is never even mentioned in this. You might be reading this, some people even for the first time going, who is this person? But it's when she's greeted by the angel, greetings favored one. The favor of God is upon you. What's so significant about Mary is her insignificance. What's so extraordinary is her, she's very ordinary. Greetings, favored one. Mary gets chosen for no good reason, other than that that God chooses to give Mary his grace. God chooses to give you his grace. It's God's presence. That God comes to you in the same way that he comes to Mary. When we find ourselves thinking and perhaps questioning, God, if you indeed came into this world, why is it more obvious? Why can't I feel it more? Why can't I see it more? And it's in the places, those two places that we mentioned earlier, it's in those two places of the manger and the cross that God wants to take us so that we can see that God indeed entered into our world and is fighting for justice and will bring about total peace. I love another hymn that we sing during this time of season, O Holy Night, where it talks about a thrill of hope A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. Why a thrill of hope? Why is that lyric listed there, written there? A thrill of hope is a surprise. A thrill of hope is, I didn't see that coming. A thrill of hope is, I had already written the story in a different way. I thought I knew better than God. This is exactly what Mary's going through. This is what you and I are going through. Let us find Christ right there in the manger and on the cross. And you just might find a thrill of hope. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the Lord Jesus, King of the nations. Thank you that we are just like Mary. Thank you for your scripture that says, come, let us bow down to the Lord, our maker. And Lord, we confess that we, along with others, are just weighed down with stress. We're weighed down with the unknown. Our country is divided. Our world teeters on war. Call us back to the little town of Bethlehem and help us prepare him room. Cause our faith to grow. 
by your grace. And let us then, as liberated and as freed people, go tell it on the mountain. We pray all this in Jesus' name.